This is Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. Recognize that music? If you've been watching Reservation Dogs, you know the music of Mato Wayuhi. He's a young Lakota composer whose soundtrack keeps the show's storyline moving. He's also a hip-hop artist and rapper who's getting ready to release another album. We're talking with him about his work and future exciting projects right after the news. Robbing for the opportunity to flock the nest. Stock tons in my whip, Jazz 96. Cock a gun if it comes to that, but it will not. Cause job is done before you even try to pat your stolen stash. Ride around with kin, drifting on baloney skin. My cousin round the way, slanging crypto for the currency. It wasn't always him, I wanna see him free again. What you wishing ain't through with something else like us on CNN. <laughs> This is National Native News. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. Many Guatemalans are celebrating the presidential victory of the once unlikely reform candidate who won a commanding 57% of the vote. Bernardo Arevalo received substantial support among indigenous voters who make up at least 40% of Guatemalans. Maria Martin reports. Traditional fireworks rang into the night in indigenous communities throughout Guatemala to celebrate the resounding victory of reform candidate Bernardo Arevalo of the Semilla or Seed Party. Arevalo had surprised everyone when he came in the second place winner in June's first round elections. For the runoff, he'd campaigned in heavily indigenous areas, calling for an end to centuries of racism and marginalization of the Maya and other indigenous and ethnic groups in Guatemala. Arevalo's rival, former First Lady Sandra Torres, has a strong political machine in heavily indigenous states like Huehuetenango, San Marcos, and Quichén. Indigenous leaders and organizations have been among the most vocal sectors of Guatemalan society against corruption, the hallmark of Arevalo's campaign. Groups of spiritual elders sent messages via social media Sunday to send light to voters and to Guatemala. For National Native News, I'm Maria Martin. Indigenous chefs are working to share their cuisine while highlighting their history. The Mountain West News Bureau's Emma Vandenindy has more. Indigenous chef Sean Sherman says the absence of Native restaurants resulted from many wrongdoings by the federal government. Bison were killed at alarming rates. Federal boarding schools stripped Indigenous peoples of their culture. And forcing them onto resource-poor reservations put them in a systemic trap. He says they haven't had time to heal yet, let alone evolve. The more you dig into it, the more inequality you see and the more racist structures you can see that are still built into the system. Chef Andrea Murdoch wants to shed light on this through her cooking. She's made food for several fundraising dinners that focus on issues like missing and murdered indigenous relatives and Indian boarding school trauma. Like, yes, I'm a chef, but I'm using that platform to bring awareness to cultural issues. This summer, she helped with Denver Eats, hosted by the American Indian College Fund. It raises tens of millions of dollars each year for indigenous students to attend tribal colleges. Cheryl Crazybull, the college fund CEO, loves hosting the event. Events like this, for me, are that opportunity for us to showcase the kinds of things that we as Native people contribute to society. The dinner portion featured indigenous chefs preparing dishes with pre-colonial ingredients, like a hen of the woods mushroom soup or three sisters hors d'oeuvre. 
Ben Jacobs, the co-founder and chef of Tokabe American Indian Eatery in Denver, also cooked for the event. With each dish, he tries to tell a story and make food for people, not for a profit. The point is being able to provide people food that's meaningful and not worry about, at the end of the day, I'm only here to make money, because we're not. We're here to make impact. Murdoch wants to do the same. By cooking at events like this, she hopes to uplift the cuisine and causes of her community while inviting others into the discovery. I'm Emma Vandenindy. The Lummi Nation in Washington State says it's saddened by the death of Tokate. The orca died in captivity at the Miami Aquarium last week. In a statement, the Lummi Nation says it stands in solidarity with Lummi members working to bring her home and will now begin talks about next steps. I'm Antonia Gonzalez. National Native News is produced by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation with funding by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. Is your tank empty? There's another gas you should be worried about. Carbon monoxide can kill in minutes. But you can stay safe by placing CO alarms in your home. Support by the U.S. Consumer Product Safety Commission. Ready to start, manage, or grow your small business? The U.S. Small Business Administration can help with advice and resources. See what SBA can do for you. Go to sba.gov start. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network. This is Native America Calling, your National Humanities medal-winning radio show and podcast. What started with sampling the music from the video game Guitar Hero has turned into a full-blown music career for Oglala Lakota musician, hip-hop artist, rapper, and composing composer Mato Wayuhi. His first composition job was making music for FX's Reservation Dogs, which is currently in its last season. That's the Reservation Dogs theme by our guest today. He doesn't read music. Every piece he's done so far and on multiple instruments is by ear. He's joining us this hour to talk about his music and his journey in the music business, and we welcome you to the conversation. If you have a question or a comment for Mato, call us at 1-800-996-2848. A little later, we'll get an update on some popular Native shows, including Reservation Dogs and Dark Winds from Vincent Schilling. We're at 1-800-99-NATIVE. Give us a call. Phone lines are open now. All right, folks, joining us from Santa Fe, New Mexico, is Mato Wayuhi. He's a composer, hip-hop artist, and rapper. He's Oglala Lakota. Mato, welcome to Native America Calling. Great to have you on the show, brother. Thanks for having me. I'm honored to be here. Absolutely. And uh, you've been up in Santa Fe since the weekend. What would you think of Indian Market? 
Knee market was good. It, it definitely stretched me to my fullest capacity like it does every year. And, yeah, it was really fun. I got to do a few different things this year than I typically do. Usually I come and do a lot of shows in, like, the traditional sense of hip-hop gigs and stuff. But this year I just came to kind of be a spectator, which was really nice. And also, but, you know, I got looped into a bunch of random stuff, too. So <laughs> got to see some friends. And uh, one of the highlights was I got to walk as a model for Orlando Dugai during the Swaya uh, fashion show on Sunday, which was really cool. And it was kind of a nice full circle moment, too, because I uh, composed some music for him and a few other designers last Indian market. So kind of cool to be on the other side of things, be the, be the diva of the show more so. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I saw that. You were what? Now, have you been in fashion shows before, Mato, or was this the first time you walked the runway? Uh, last, Well, every fashion show I've been to, I have not – it was not my intent to model, but uh, you always get roped in. <laughs> yeah, they kind of asked me if I'm interested. In, so last year, I modeled for this guy named Jason Berg um, on this in the Saturday show, and I did the music for him. And we hadn't met in person yet, and he kind of looked at me up and down. He goes, uh, "Do you model?" And I go, "No." <laughs> he's like, "Do you? Would you?" And I was like, uh, "I guess." And he's like, "Do you want to model today?" And I was like, "Okay." And then, yeah, uh, this year I landed in Albuquerque and I got a text from, from Amber Dawn and she asked, are you here this weekend? I was like, yeah. She's like, can you model? I was like, okay. So it's cool. You know, I'm, I'm really grateful. And a lot of these designers are doing such culturally shifting things. And so I'm honored to be considered to, to be a part of it. They really are, yeah. And that's so cool that you're able to to walk the runway like that and participate, not just in music, but also as a model. And, of course, Mato, you know, your, your, your work with Reservation Dogs has just been so high profile, and that show is just so groundbreaking, and it's just, it's such a zeitgeist throughout Indian country. And, of course, you as, as the composer for that theme, I mean, how did you land that gig? Well, I, when I started making music, I kind of set a precedent for myself to become a fully produced, like a self-produced artist, because a lot of the people who I looked up to did that. And I just thought it was interesting, and so I, I, I kind of set forth on that journey from the jump, and around, I think I was around 21 or 22, this was like 2019, and I heard rumblings of Reservation Dogs, and... Yeah, I kind of, um, I mean, candidly, I, I just got the gig because Sterling Harjo liked my own music, my personal stuff. And I would later learn that um, we had, we're good friends now, and he was telling me kind of the ethos of my music was in tandem with what the show expresses, which is really just coming of age and being native, but not letting that be the, you know, defining through line through everything and kind of subverting expectations of what it is to be native or who it is to be native mm -hmm. as especially as a young person and so yeah that's kind of how i got it i mean a, a lot of I, I didn't set out to be a composer by any means and but i'm very open-minded and i just i just like making stuff i think that's the that's kind of the the cornerstone of everything that i do is just making cool things executing ideas and so yeah sterling just liked my music and that's kind of how it all came to be. I think I was like 22 when he asked, and I was, yeah, overwhelmed by it, but also just honored. And I knew that this is what I was working for in a lot of ways. 
And I heard Sterling was looking for somebody like yourself that, uh, that that didn't follow some of these more stereotypical types of approaches with music, right? He wanted something with a with a fresher sound. Yeah, I would say so. I know, you know, he's he's such a trailblazer in so many regards, and I think one of the biggest ways is how he created the show in terms of the the different folks involved, which who many didn't work in television ever before. And that's from a writing standpoint, that's from a directing standpoint, that's from the musical standpoint and show running. That was Sterling's first show, you know, that he ran. And so I was speaking with Tommy Pico. He's a good friend of mine. He, he writes on the show and, you know, he, he, he's a poet before writing for TV. And so he never, he didn't even really have a frame of reference for writing for TV and so, and script writing and stuff. And so he came at it fully just, Kind of with this, I don't know, I don't even know how to say it, not naivety, but like just this open-mindedness because we don't know the rules, you know, and so we're not looking to follow any rules. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of, and I think that's this, the, the, the spirit of the show as well. And so, yeah, it was really cool. I mean, just the whole formation of it, it's, it's really, it's community-based and it's also just, okay, well, I think we can do this and end up doing it. And Mato, what did you have to do to prepare for that? Because that's got to be a lot different than than your other work, composing tracks. And th- I mean, to get something for a show, you've got to work within a very specific set of parameters, I imagine. Yeah, I mean, to prepare, it's funny. I was just talking with somebody recently, and we were talking about what were the the positives and the negatives that came out of the the pandemic or the quarantine, more specifically. So for me, in that time, I was in, I was finishing up my senior year at University of Southern California, and we all got sent home. So I went back to South Dakota. I was living with my mom, and my dad lived nearby, so we were all just kind of hanging out every day. And for me, you know, the schoolwork really uh, dwindled because no one knew what was going on. And so it gave me a lot of time to, like, sharpen my tools figuratively, which is, you know, just produce a lot of music, make a lot of music. And I, I definitely went through a, an artistic kind of recentering during that time. And a lot of it was just, yeah, making music, composing it. Um, and that's kind of how I think I prepared myself for this is because, you know, I was doing that with no expectation, no outcome. I just was doing it for the love of music. And it, it just got me to a better place. It got me to create like ambiances in my music and kind of technical precision and intention and whatnot. And so, you know, the thing about music is so much like painting. It's just the, it's, you start with the blankness of a canvas and you just kind of got to get funky with it and see where it leads. And that's the biggest way I think I could prepare unknowingly, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, so that's kind of how it all got started from a preparation standpoint. And this was like four years ago, right before the show started. I mean, were you surprised at all that Reservation Dogs blew up the way it did? Or did you kind of have a sense that, hey, this is going to be big? I knew. So I he sent, Sterling sent, or FX rather, FX sent me the pilot, I want to say, in like March of 2021, when I officially signed on to be the composer. So I got to see it. And Dallas Goldtooth's first scene, I was like, okay, this is, I didn't think this was going to be like, you know, all I knew is that it made me laugh really hard and (laughs) I got it right away. And I said, Oh, I know what they're doing now. This is amazing. Like this is, this is everything that I've tried to do in my art. This is what I've looked for within art and media and representation. 
and I, you know, I went to film school, so I've seen a breadth of a lot of different types of films depicting Native and Indigenous people. And, you know, as you know, they do a disservice most of the time. And so this was the first time I was like, oh, you're breaking it. You're finally breaking the mold. And so, but how I knew it was going to be a hit, because I just liked the pilot, but how I knew it was going to be a hit is because all the Native meme pages, before the pilot even came out, they were just flocking to Res Dogs, and they're posting about it. And, you know, it, it changed from Netflix and chill to Hulu and chill. And that's when I knew. And it sounds, it sounds uh, you know, kind of arbitrary. But it is. That was, like, that was how I knew. Because what the show does, I think, in so many ways is it taps the zeitgeist of not only where we are as a nation, but as a, as a people in Indian country. Yeah. And so the moment the meme pages started going, I said, okay, this is going to be going to be big. <laughs> and now here we are. It's going to wrap up in a few weeks. Final season. Uh, are you bummed at all? Or are you looking forward to the future? Kind of both, I'd say. I certainly told me a while back that he was considering this being the last season. And was like, okay, yeah, whatever you want to do. It's, it's very much his baby. So if he wants to, you know, let his baby go to college or, you know, move on, kick his baby out of the house, then we got to be okay with that. <laughs> and so um, I'm like the cool uncle in the situation. But, yeah, so then as it got closer to uh, season three coming out, he gave me kind of the official call. And he's like, yeah, I'm, just, I'm, I'm calling everyone to let them know that uh, tomorrow I'm announcing that it's the final season. And so, you know, he, 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 he kind of walked me through his, his mindset. And I really agreed with it, you know. Um, he said something really wise. He said, you know, it's better to drop the mic than to get your cord cut. And I was like, yeah. That there makes you sense. go. Yeah, that's good. Mato, we got to take a short break here. We come back when we talk more about your music in your life. Folks, give us a call. 1-800-99-NATIVE. Are you wondering whether you're financially ready for retirement? What do you need to know about retirement when you're in your 30s? We'll talk with Native investors to get updates on pensions and 401ks, IRAs, and assets. That's all coming up on the next Native America Calling. How am I talking, Piki? You're listening to Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. We're talking with Oglala Lakota composer Mato Wayuhi today. Are you a fan of his work? Would you like to give him a shout-out on the air? You can do that by calling 1-800-996-2848. That's also 1-800-99-NATIVE. And Mato, let's go ahead and hear another sample, a music sample from Reservation Dogs. And this song we're going to play, the track is Officer Big Tripping. What can you tell us about it before we play it? Well, he he takes some, I don't even know, I think he takes DMT or something like that. <laughs> um, <laughs> okay. And yeah, he sees some pretty, uh, 
some pretty suspect things in the woods, and in so many words, that's what I can say without uh, all right <laughs> spoiling the episode. But yeah, it's a, that was a really fun, maybe the funnest episode to score in the season two. I forget which episode it is specifically, but yeah, that's a great one. All right, let's take a listen. Officer Big Tripping. That track is from Season 2, Episode 8 of Reservation Dogs. And Mato, that's just got a good, good sound to it. It's got that kind of suspenseful, but yet there's an energy to it. And tell us a little bit, I mean, what was the the thought process for you when you laid that down? Well, in in the show, I work a lot in, like, musical motifs. And so those are kind of, like, reoccurring things that happen throughout the compositions. So for Officer Big, he's such a cornball in so many ways. And he, what we started in season one was kind of this Miami Vice type of energy that he exudes when he's on the job. And so, and the music, I think, is emulating what he thinks of himself. And so if you go to season one, there's a track that's kind of his theme. And it's very yeah, 80s, like stiff and like the synth. And so... With season two and that episode specifically, I wanted to devolve it and kind of make it more decrepit and and scarier and more delusional and kind of put this weird filter over it. And so that's kind of how I made that track. And so the the bass is, uh, I used this thing called the cursed bass. It's just like a modulated synth bass that I kind of created in my software. And that's all throughout season two. And so this specifically, this song uh, carries that as well. And yeah, so I, I like kind of the weirdness of it and the, the drums are a little looser than season one because that episode is such a loose interpretation of everything. And yeah, so he uh, he's going full, full goblin mode on the episode. So I needed the music to kind of fit that. So yeah, it was fun. And then my buddy DA, he uh, I wrote some guitar and so he's playing it towards the end. And it's just, yeah, it's getting like, it's like getting into hair metal-y type stuff, which I love. I love the show that it pushes me to do things outside of my element, which is really fun. Now, the music behind the scenes with William Spirit Knifeman, do you approach that differently than with some of the other characters in the show? Yeah, actually, when I first got the, the job, Sterling and I were talking, and we were talking about kind of what the music would be and, and how it would sound. Something he told me the first rule he had was no native flute. And I was like, my brother, my brother, I abide by that rule every day of my life. Like, I don't, I don't want to be expected of, of native music. And so I, I, and I love, I love flute. I actually learned flute for this season. Um, and I'll get to that. But 
uh, I love that music. I just knew that it's, we have to stretch, we have to, you know, expand uh, beyond the expectations of our art. And so I was really steadfast on that. And then we get to those William Knifeman scenes, and it's like, well, it, flute for, it does such a service for it. And then the way we play the flute and the way I write it is is very tongue-in-cheek, and it's kind of, you know, cute. And so um, with those, I mean, it's just really being as silly as I can go, and which is really fun. And they give me – what I love about this show and what I'll always love about Res Dogs is, you know, they really uh, – I really graduated musically and they also just like believed in me and uh, gave me the room to like wiggle and let my freak flag fly a little bit musically. So I got to try some stuff. So yeah, for William Knife Man, it was just always like, let's just write the most absurd, like funny stuff for him to, to, to act. And Dallas is, I mean, he gives me so much to work with musically because he's such a phenomenal actor. So yeah, it's really fun. And it works. It works so well. Uh, anyone listening, if you would like to give a shout out to our guest today, Mato Wayuhi, he's also that cool uncle composer from Reservation Dogs. Give us a call. He is on the air right now. 1-800-996-2848. Tell him what you like about his music. Tell him what you like about his style. 1-800-996-2848. And Mato, of course, you live on the West Coast now. You're in L.A., but you're a South Dakota boy. You grew up in Sioux Falls. I did, yeah. I grew up in Sioux Falls. Did you, um, where'd you go to high school? I'm curious. Yeah, because I used to spend a lot of time in Sioux Falls. Okay. I went to Lincoln High School. So okay. kind of like in the center of town a little bit. Yeah, yeah. So that was, was that a big change then? Like when you, when you went out to LA and went to USC, what was that like when you made that transition? Yeah, it was a huge culture shock. I mean, growing up, I only went to like two places, which was the Res and Minneapolis. And so, I have family in Minneapolis and then family in Pine Ridge. And so that's why we lived there. My parents chose because it was kind of equidistant between Minneapolis and Pine Ridge was Sioux Falls. And so I, I mean, I didn't travel much. The only traveling I really did was to go to my sister's basketball tournaments growing up. And so not a ton of traveling. So I hadn't even been to LA before I got accepted into, into USC So I went there and yeah, I mean, I, I had, a, it was very uh, debilitating at first. I was, I was freaked out and a lot of people and a lot of smells and a lot of, you know, it was crazy, the, the, the fast-paced energy and whatnot. But I think what helped me get more attuned to it was uh, a lot of the culture of L.A. I grew up on, just on the Internet, you know, the music I listened to and the movies and stuff. And so I kind of just, like, trusted myself to, to acclimate a little bit. And But, yeah, it was hard. To, you know, that, that city is not designed for natives, you know. And so I think in the past, since I've been there, um, I've I've seen so many uh, people within the community kind of represent us more and and uh, get us to a place of visibility. So that's been really cool. But yeah, at first it was tough. It was a uh, it was really you know I didn't have a mango till I was like 21 because <laughs> you, you don't get that type of produce in the Midwest. And so yeah, just like little culture shocks like that. Yeah, those tropical fruits and whatnot. Well, Mato, how long did it take you to just kind of find your place and get dialed in with the the native communities there in, in the LA area? It took me, that's a good question, it took me about a year and a half, and I think what really got me out of my element and into these spaces was uh, my first album, Part-Time Indian, and that was kind of, there's a before and an after for that record for me, because that really, uh, that was a good, I think, entryway for me to come into the community, you know, showing love, and also just being, I think, 
what I love about that record is it's honesty, just like crudely honest. Like it's just honest about where I was at in my life and what I had to say and stuff. So I think people could could know me more through that. And I got to do more gigs and more shows around LA and then yeah, a little bit outside of LA then going on tours and stuff like that. So yeah, that that was kind of that was twenty eighteen, so that was kind of the the precipice of a new way for me. Do you ever see yourself moving back to South Dakota or do you think you're gonna stay in LA? Yeah, I think I'll move I'm kinda I'm kinda always there spiritually. Yeah. Um I was just even back a couple of weeks ago on the res and hanging out. So, yeah, I think that what I've learned about a lot of folks, because I meet a lot of Lakotas from from back home and they live in these different places, these bigger cities. And we always have such a um, an ongoing relationship with with the res and with South Dakota, even though we're not there. And so the, I've been really working at that in my as I get older is uh, maintaining those relationships with not only my family, but just the community. Like I'm even, you know, on this upcoming Saturday, I'm playing a festival in, in Sioux Falls. Um, and, you know, so it's, it's stuff like that where it's like I'm always showing love and, you know, it's a challenging place to grow up, but it was also a really nourishing place. And so, um, yeah, I always, I always show love back home. Well, I know you give back a lot to, to the South Dakota Native community, and uh, there's even a nonprofit called Outlast, and I know they do a lot of work with, with Native kids uh, throughout the state of South Dakota, and you're heavily involved with that. Tell us more about it. Yeah, so it's called Outlast Arts and Education, and it's a nonprofit organization that teaches filmmaking and media skills to students around the Pine Ridge Reservation and kind of on a, on a national scale as well. I'm the vice president. You can tell by my little my my official elevator pitch. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I've been involved. Uh, I've been involved with Outlast since 2017. So I was 19 when I started, which was cool because you know now the students are around that age, 18, 19. So I could kind of get their perspective on things. But yeah, basically, you know, for uh, how it started was doing like a week long film camp uh, out of Pine Ridge, and so it's kind of come one, come all. Whoever wants to come. So it's a lot of students, and yeah, we just teach them different components and it was founded by uh, my good friend LT so she's been doing it she's been leading the charge for about eight or nine years now and yeah every year I kind of got more involved with it which has been really cool and yeah made a lot of lifelong friends through it and this year we actually did a three-week long film intensive and it was in partnership with MTV and so the students create created content for MTV's Native Heritage Month that's going to be screening like on cable and all that stuff all throughout November and so the kids, like, they wrote, directed, and did everything themselves. And we're just kind of there to teach and to, you know, make sure that not they're not only eating Flamin' Hot Cheetos all week. <laughs> we have some issues this week with that. But, um, yes, I, I, uh, I'm, as, as vice president, I just kind of came and I floated this year to just help out with anything people needed. So doing dishes or helping move stuff. And, yeah, so it's really cool. I'm really proud of those kids. Well, it sounds like there's a lot more talent, native talent, young native talent coming out of South Dakota, thanks to organizations like Outlast and the work that you and uh, some of your friends do, Mato. Let's go ahead and take a a listen to another one of your songs. And this one is coming out uh, at the beginning of September, September 1st, in fact. It's called Fall Out Boy. Mato, what can you tell us about it? I think the songs got mixed up a little bit. This one's already out. This one came out uh, June 16th, but I think you all played Boogie Boy a little earlier in the program. But 
Um, this one, I love this song. I mean, this is a, I made this in like 15 minutes with my buddies, Van and DA, who also do work on Reservation Dogs. Um, and yeah, I had a lot to say. And so we just were in my little studio and uh, I wrote the guitar parts and then did the drums. And yeah, so this is a song that's really special to me. And this music video is out on all the, all the platforms and stuff like that. So yeah. All right, thanks for the clarification there, Mato. Let's take a listen now, Fallout Boy. That is Fallout Boy from Mato Wayuhi, and this song came out June 16th of 2023, so it is still really fresh. And Mato, that song's just got another really, really good groove to it, and I, I'm still having a hard time believing this. You all, you got started with Guitar Hero, just just playing that video game and just experimenting with with the sounds and everything. No, I, I think something might have been lost. I love that game. I was never good at it. Okay. Um, but I did start in GarageBand. Uh, I used to Google how to do the T-Pain voice. Um, and then so I would like, I'd, use, I'd watch YouTube videos and I'd do that. But yeah, I guess, you know, in, inadvertently, I guess I started with Guitar Hero. But yeah, so not quite that. But yeah, I don't, I don't know music or anything like that in terms of like a... a a sensibility standpoint is just kind of all feeling based. So you're a completely self-taught composer musician then? Yeah, basically. Um, 
I'm grateful that I have a few close friends. Uh, I mentioned a few, Van and DA, my friend Renata as well. Uh, they're all, I mean, they're wizards. They're so talented. And they they help me uh, literally, like, tell me what I'm doing. Because a lot of the time I'm writing music and I'm, I'm playing chords that I don't even know what's going on. It just feels good. And then they will uh, instruct me kind of what I'm doing. Like, oh, that's actually a harmonic minor chord. And that goes to the seventh. And, you know, what you're doing is interesting. You're going, and I'm, I, it's alien language to me. I'm like, well, that's cool. I'm glad. But that's good. But, yeah. But you've got that natural gift because you just you can feel it. You can hear. It. You know it's right. You you might not know the technical term for it or the the notes as they're described like on paper, but but you feel it. You know it, and that's what that's your gift because somebody else just you, they pick up a, an instrument and they just start hammering on it. <laughs> it just it doesn't sound right, but with you, you can make it sound right. That's so cool. That is so cool. Thank you. I appreciate you bet. it. We're going to take another break here. More with Mato Wayuhi and also our next guest, Vince Schilling, when we come back. I'm Michael, and I used to smoke. I never used to think about breathing. Then my left lung collapsed and I was diagnosed with COPD. Now I think about breathing all the time. I'm on an oxygen machine so I can breathe. I take medicine so I can breathe. My tip is enjoy the breaths you don't have to think about. You don't know how long you'll have them. Smoking can cause COPD. You can quit. For free help, visit cdc.gov slash quit now. A message from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. This is Native America Calling. I'm Sean Spruce. We have Mato Wayuhi on the line right now. He is a composer of music for the FX show Reservation Dogs. And Mato, we're going to pivot to our next guest here in a minute, but I want to give you a chance here. Any other projects, anything you're excited about that you want to share here on the air right now today? Yeah, I mean, there's too much to name. I might run out of airtime, but coming up, I have a new song coming out on September 1st. And, oh, man, what else? New album on the way as well. Uh, tour, a lot of exciting things. And, yeah, keep up with Reservation Dogs, season three, final season. I, I really would uh, implore folks to watch the next episode. Uh, that's all I can say about that. But, yeah, I mean, I'm loving life, and I'm really enjoying what I'm doing. And so I, I'm grateful that I have a career that can extend that to my audience and my loved ones and whatnot. So. Yeah, I'm always doing cool stuff, so I try my best to be running around and making people smile. Right on, Mato. Well, you know what? We're going to take a quick call because we have Renata on the line, KUNM here in Albuquerque. Hi, Renata. Thank you for calling in today. What's your question or comment to Mato? Hi. I'm just uh, wondering if what you read um, influences the way you think about music or how you write and if there's something you've read recently, whether it's an article or a book or an essay or a poem that has um, influenced a piece of your music. Ooh, good question. Mato, what are you reading and how does it influence your music? That is a great question, Renata. You sound like a good person and look forward to probably meeting you one day. Um, that's my buddy. <laughs> uh, thank <laughs> you for the question, Renata. Um, I read a good amount of different things. I try to kind of diversify things from a, from a native standpoint and a non-native standpoint. So I kind of went through a James Baldwin kick this past year. So that was really 
kind of instructive on just how to express myself and whatnot. Um, but currently, I'm checking out this book, uh, Oglala Women by Marla N. Powers. And Renat actually gifted me a really great book called Hungry Listening um, by Dylan Robinson, I believe his name is. Um, but yeah, so those things are just kind of like good because they kind of get me out, out of my own head. And I think uh, I grew up in a family of readers and writers, so they always, uh, you know, motivated me to to do that. But yeah, those things help a lot. And, you know, so yeah, that's a good question. And I'm, I'm always kind of looking for new things to read and to, to get my hands on. That's really cool that, you know, you just, there's so much information out there, so much cool art. You just draw from all these different perspectives and these different art forms, other music, writing, things like that. So, Mato, we're going to go ahead and pivot now to Vince, but I want to thank you again for joining us today, brother, and uh, just continued success. Keep inspiring us and keep just setting the trend like you're doing. You are such a such a role model for all of us here in Indian country. Thank you. That means a lot to me. Thank you for having me, and yeah, Pilama, yeah, I look forward to uh, hearing what Vince has to say. He's a good guy. I think we follow each other on Twitter. <laughs> I think you do, and we're going to find out right now. Joining us from Virginia Beach is Vincent Schilling. He is the editor of NativeViewpoint.com and a certified Rotten Tomatoes critic. He is Aquasasni Mohawk. Vince, always a pleasure to have you on NAC. How you doing, brother? Hey, thanks for having me on the show. I'm always excited to be here. And what do you think of uh, Mato's music from Res Dogs? Are you feeling it? I am feeling it. You know, and I was uh, watching some of his videos and stuff. Um, God, Mato, you are talented. Fallout boy. And and not only that, folks, Mato, you are a handsome young dude. I got to tell you, you are a handsome young dude. He is just, I was, I was like, he did these like model shots on Instagram. And I was like, what a good looking young guy. I mean, I just, I'm so excited for him. It's so nice to hear about young people's success and doing great things. So kudos to him, man. Kudos to him. Absolutely. Yeah. And he's got those runway looks for sure. He was walking at the yeah. Santa Fe uh, fashion show this weekend. And Mato, I know you're still on the line. Go ahead. Please respond to, to Vince there. You got, obviously, you got a fan in Virginia Beach. Well, I got I got two things to say. Uh, one, I am single. And so not. <laughs> um, but two, uh, thank you to my my lineage, my mom and dad for uh, bestowing these gifts on to me um but yeah i do i do what i can thank you though that means a lot to me and yeah i, I just like being out there and contributing and making stuff so if i can do that in any capacity whether that's modeling or music kind of you know what i like to do well you heard it here on native america calling mato <laughs> is single he is single heck i'm gonna give out the phone number again 1-800-99-NATIVE give us a call so well vince going back to the music here um you know, I mean, we were talking about Reservation Dogs and just what an iconic show it is and, and how how big a part of that whole experience of the show is the music, do you think? Uh, I, I think it's a huge part of it. Uh, I think it's it's a, a necessary element to something that's kind of thrusting the world into 2023. Uh, and Sterling Harjo takes the show, takes the sentiments, takes the people, takes the culture – and shoves it in your face and says, you know, I know that you have your predispositions of what you think Native people are, but it's 2023, and here's what Native people actually are. So he's kind of taking this, putting it in your face, and he's putting it in your face in every single solitary element of what he does in the show. Um, you know, there's some really harsh realities that kind of, you know, 
you know, cause me to take my breath in sometimes. You know, it is reality. You know, it's it's not always easy to watch every part of it in that sense. But he is saying, hey, look, 2023 Native people are here, and this is what we're doing. And, and um, you know, I think the, the world's going, whoa, okay, this is very interesting. And, and uh, it's, it's curious to see where this is going to continue to go. Well, the, the last season of Reservation Dogs is rolling out right now. And, and Vince, what do you think? How is it shaping up so far? It's amazing. I've seen up to the sixth episode as I, I had uh, a sneak preview of the next two episodes as well uh, as, a, as a critic. And um, there are some of the most uh, intense moments that happen in this season. And I agree with Mato in that the things are, do have this kind of a leisurely feel to it, like kind of almost as if you're kind of walking through the woods and you might come across things. You know, uh, hopefully Bigfoot, as Sterling Harger seems to be obsessed with, because I admit I am too. But but I really have to say I like some of the threads that they're doing, the relationship between the kids, um, uh, the introduction of Maximus portrayed by Graham Greene. And uh, we go further a little bit into that. I, I'm not going to get too far because there's there's I, I don't want to introduce spoilers. Um, but I have to say, you know, I've seen in Graham Greene in a lot of um, uh, projects over the years, and I think this may be one of his most sincere performances i've ever seen really and there there's a scene yes i think there is a scene with him now this one already happened um i don't know if you guys have seen it or not but if you haven't uh there is a scene uh where him and bear defera wunatai are are interacting with each other and it meant so much more to see this moment because here we are graham green who's been in this for decades as an elder and he's interacting with Bear, who's a young guy, and it really was a sharing of the generations. And and I I really was kind of profoundly affected by that moment. And um, uh, they they bring it up for a split second, but he mentioned sanitariums and being shocked and things like that. And I was just like, whoa, you know, and now here's who he is now. And it just, it really, really stuck with me because I've been working on research for residential schools and things like that for a couple of years now and to see that kind of come out onto the television screen in 2023 i can't even imagine this topic when i was a kid you know mm-hmm. so many years ago so the fact that we're talking about this and addressing issues like this today is just unparalleled and it's, it's it's genuinely historic well vince it sounds you know kind of like a passing of the torch moment there on reservation yes. dogs and and it, like Mato mentioned earlier, you know, there's like this bittersweetness, right? Because it's been so successful, but it's ending. And then, of course, we lost Rutherford Falls last year as well. Mm-hmm. And I know a lot of people were heartbroken. So um, obviously, we're proud of these accomplishments. But uh, what's going to replace these two shows, especially Reservation Dogs, which has been such a huge hit? Yeah, nothing's going to replace it. And I'm like, come on, Sterling, give us at least a fourth season. <laughs> what are you doing? You know, what but but I get it. He's, he wants to move on, and, and I, I think he said something like he wants to start going into, like, futuristic stuff. You know, I get it. He wants to go on to something else, and he wants to explore other things. So I was saying, you know, give Little Mike and Funny Bone their own show. Those guys are, you know, Mozamiko are, are hilarious. That would be awesome. Um, I don't know. that I, I would think FX is going to see something like we've got to do a spinoff, you know, or something. Uh, I, I suspect that may happen. Um, 
Dark Winds is continuing to kind of really grab the viewers and, and people's kind of impressions in terms of a, 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 an innovative show, even though it does kind of reflect the 70s and things like that. But um, Zon McLaren is just killing it in both of these. And, he, of course, he plays a sheriff in both. Um, but uh, I think that this, more than anything else, is paving the way for for new filmmakers. I mean, the Sundance uh, Film Festival organization announced this morning, you know, 2023 fund grantees. And we're talking about a million dollars was given to over 20 odd projects. And that's uh, Remaining Native uh, by Paige Bethman, who's holding a Shoney. Another film, When They Were Here, by Ivan and uh, Ivy McDonald, who were Blackfeet. Pow Wow People by Sky Hopinka, uh, who's Ho-Chunk and Pachanga. And that's also Adam Perone of Sundance, whose Mohawk is produ- helping produce that. So, you know, we've got projects coming out everywhere. Janet Schmeeding got a Sundance Fellowship. So I'm wondering what she's going to be working on. You know, there is so much in, in this world now. And people are now hungry for the Native story. And they're like, oh, gee. Native people can be storytellers. I'm like, we've been storytellers forever. (laughs) Well, Vince, that's a good point because, like, you know, and that's a question I have. Like, I mean, obviously, as Native people, we're all feeling these shows. We love them. But for mainstream audiences, I mean, what was their response overall for Res Dogs and and Dark Winds? I mean, do you think we're, we're really gaining mainstream momentum now in a big way? Well, I think the one thing that we're really struggling with, you know, it, it, it reminds me of these uh, Native accounts on Twitter that aren't really run by Native people who are like, the beautiful Native person here, scale one to ten. You know, these <laughs> weird things that, that have millions of hits. So I think a lot of people in the the that are audience viewers to television, streaming services, and the film industry are getting this concept of, like, we love Native Americans, and they're watching it. But then they're discovering something else and going, wow. So it, I think that that draw is getting them there. But the the uh, real story is what happens when they start to watch it and see, wait a minute, Native Americans are people, too. You know, uh, and I think what's happening is people are learning that, oh, my gosh, these stories that we thought we were going to like are actually a little different than what we expected. But you know what? We like it more. And I think that's something that. Blue Beetle, which I just saw struggled a little bit with, because what they did is they cookie-cuttered the super superhero element, and because of that, it didn't work. The family was a wonderful, but the story struggled. So I think new stories are going to come because this whitewashing, literally, in the film industry, doesn't work for Native stories and Indigenous stories. Okay. And because Indigenous people are doing this, they're doing excellent content. Well, Vince, new stories, yeah, but, you know, the elephant in the room that we got to talk about now is this ongoing writer's strike. And uh, how concerned yeah. are you in terms of what, the impact it's going to have on all of these Native writers and all this Native talent and all this momentum that, that we've captured here in the last few years? Yeah, I, it, it, it's tough. You know, it's tough. It, it, it affects me very much, and I worry because a lot of my close friends— uh, and associates and colleagues across Indian country are like, man, I'm not working right now. You know, we're on strike. Oh, my gosh, we just got started on this, and now we went on strike. Oh, my gosh, I had something that was getting ready to get get picked up, and we went on strike. Oh, my gosh, we were getting ready to be hired for this program, and I got on strike. You know, there's many projects that have been canceled. So please, you know, I hope these things get picked back up. And I, I, I suspect many of them will, but, you know, when the industry shifts, you know, people drop things like a hot rock sometimes. And, and so 
unfortunately, once again, Native people have a, a, a big suitcase to pick up and carry to their next job because it's going to be a, a lot of hard work. You know, I am excited for the projects that did make it before the strike. Uh, just like Disney's Echo that's coming up, you know, so that I'm pretty excited for. Yeah, that's going to be huge, and uh, that's in collaboration with Marvel Studios, right? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh, and it's, it's looks to be awesome. I have a prediction. I have a prediction, though I don't know how true it's going to be, but because I've followed Echoes for years, uh, Daredevil, my, I mean, I, I was literally a, a, a little eight-year-old living on Compton Boulevard in California reading the X-Men. You know, that was that was stuff I did. So I've been following Marvel for years. I love Daredevil. And I think maybe, and I hope Marvel doesn't doesn't hate me for it, but this is really just a guess. If you look on the IMD profile, Jeffrey Jacobs' name is Julie, right? That's mm-hmm. all they have. And the other actors, they just literally have actor. actor. They're not saying any of the names. <laughs> However, I do know that there is a character named Julie Power of the Power Pack. And there are other Native people within that are, would be considered within her family, I'm guessing. So there is that possibility that we could see the power pack. I don't know. She could also go and be Phoenix because there was another connections. But but who's to okay. say what might happen? But, I, but you never know. But either way, we're going to see another strong, powerful Native female heroine in the spirit of prey, perhaps? Yes, because, yes. I mean, you have a Lockwell Cox who is Echo slash Maya Lopez, who is literally a Native American and deaf actress. And she's, she's the lead, you know. But if you look at the IMD, Devery Jacobs is in between Vincent D'Onofrio and Charlie Cox, who plays Daredevil. So she is literally fourth. You, you don't get that rank on, on IMD without being something significant. So we're going to see a couple of Native heroes. I'll tell you that right now. Uh it's going to be big. I'm, I'm excited for sure. Yeah. Well, Vince, thanks for joining us and uh, bringing us up to speed here with regard to some of these exciting television and film products that are coming up soon here. Folks, we're going to have to wrap up the show. But uh, again, I want to give a shout out to Mato Wayuhi, who joined us uh, from Santa Fe and Vince Schilling calling in as well. So, folks, uh, we're going to wrap up the show now. If you want to give us a shout out on Facebook or Instagram, please do that. Tell us what you thought of today's show. We always Always welcome your feedback and catch us at the same time tomorrow. We're going to have a great conversation about what you need to know about retirement, whether you're near retirement age or just starting out in the workforce. Until then, thank you for listening to the one, the only Native America Calling. Do you want to start, manage, or grow your small business? The U.S. Small Business Administration can help. SBA wants to see you win. They want to see you grow. They have been so helpful and so resourceful. Thanks to the SBA, my business is thriving today. Make sure you get in touch with SBA and you will definitely be on your way to a winning path. For your small business needs, go to sba.gov start. All SBA programs and services are extended to the public on a non-discriminatory basis. Did you know that there could be a silent killer inside your home? You may know it carbon monoxide. It's a poisonous gas that can't be seen or smelled, yet it can kill a family in a matter of minutes. You can protect yours by installing carbon monoxide alarms throughout your home. Find more on the dangers of carbon monoxide and additional safety information at cpsc.gov. Support by the U.S. Consumer Product Safety Commission.
Native America Calling is produced in the Annenberg National Native Voice Studios in Albuquerque, New Mexico by Kiwanak Broadcast Corporation, a native nonprofit media organization. Funding is provided by the Corporation for Public Broadcasting with support from the Public Radio Satellite Service. Music is by Brent Michael Davids. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.